0: Y'all have got a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. If you raised your hand um, during that song for prayer, I want to encourage you so the enemy doesn't quit easily. If that's an area where he's had some success in your mind, he's going to continue to go at that. And so I don't want you to be discouraged when you feel those. That anxiety or that fear or whatever. That doesn't mean that prayer didn't work or God didn't answer. It just means that there's a battle to fight. You need to recognize that that's what's going on and it's all here. It's all in your head and you have everything that you need to win. And so you don't need to be intimidated and you don't need to get discouraged. You just need to fight in those moments. Part of that is recognizing what are the circumstances. That caused me to feel this way. That's really step one is saying, how do I know when I'm actually in a fight here? You know, when you're playing a sport, the referee blows the whistle. You know, it's time, to, like it's game time. What is that for you? Is it particular, some of you who raised your hands were moms. that it have to do with your kids? Is it with finances? Like what are the things that cause anxiety and fear in you? Recognize these are the circumstances. And so when you're engaging in those circumstances, know that's when... In the past, that's where the enemy has tended to kind of wreak havoc in your mind. And so be ready going in. Pray going in. God, I know this is an area where I tend to struggle. I tend to give in to fear and anxiety or depression, whatever those things are in these areas. And I don't want to do that. So I'm asking you, give me a, you've given me a sound mind. So strengthen that here. Remind me here in my heart that you're always with me, that you've got this, that you're a good father, that you see everything. Past, present, future. You hold all of reality in your hands, including whatever this circumstance is. And don't, if I can encourage you with this, this is coming from someone who's a thinker more than feeler. So if you're a feeler, this may be hard, but don't let your feelings run away. Like, don't chase them when it comes to this. You stand firm on what you know to be true. And then over time, that will become easier and easier for you, I think. So I'm proud of y'all for raising your hands. I'm proud of y'all for letting people pray for you. And that can be a difficult thing to do. And um, I, just want you, I'm not, I just want you to know reality going in. The enemy tests every yes. And so he will test you on that. And he'll try to discourage you and kind of see that didn't work, whatever. And I don't want you to fall for that. I want you to stand firm on what you know to be true. If you need help with that. One of, the, one of the best things I've found is worship, and if you need help figuring that out, contact Bo. He's the guy who was up here singing. He'd love to help you figure out what worship looks like for you personally. He can give you a CD or a playlist and help walk you through some of the ins and outs of that. And another thing that I found to be great, I'm not a huge scripture memorization person, but having a couple of truths in your mind and in your heart, can be really, really helpful. And if you need some guidance on that, I would say you can contact Kim. Many of you know her. She kind of runs everything here, and she can give you some great verses that you can easy to kind of get in your mind and your heart if that's a place where you wrestle. Okay, so last week, uh, we were were, uh, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, so that's the first day of the second major festival for the Jews. So we're in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims are in Jerusalem from all over the known world to celebrate this feast of weeks, and uh, Pentecost is the first day of that. In the midst of all of those thousands are 120 followers of Jesus who've been told by him to wait. He's given them an assignment, be witnesses throughout the whole known world, but don't do anything yet. You're not ready, you don't have the resources to be obedient right now you you don't have the capacity to obey so you need to wait to be filled with the holy spirit for the holy spirit to come upon you and then you'll be able to obey then you'll be able to be effective as witnesses and so this is so they're they're waiting they've been waiting for 10 days they're praying and then the bible says suddenly so suddenly the holy spirit comes upon them and fills them and it's an objective phenomenon they're, they hear something sounds like wind they see something that seems like Tongues of fire resting on people's heads. But then the result is these 120 people all begin to speak in languages that they don't know. It's the languages of these 15 or 16 other groups of Jews who've gathered. So you've got Jews who speak all these different languages because they're from all these different countries. They're all gathering in Jerusalem. And then they miraculously hear these people proclaiming, it says, the wonders of God. Declaring the wonders of God in their own language. And they're amazed. So these 120 who are in a room have now left. They're in the temple courts, and there's a crowd of thousands and thousands and thousands. They've drawn a huge crowd, and there's, it's a bit chaotic, and people are saying, well, they're drunk. That's what's going on. And Peter says, no, that's not it at all. And he quotes a, um, a prophecy from Joel, which is an Old Testament prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet written hundreds of years before this time. And in that prophecy... Joel says, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, when the Holy Spirit is given to all people, not just a handful of people for a particular time, for particular roles, we see that in the Old Testament, the activity of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, when, when men and women, young and old, regardless of life station, when all of those people are experiencing the reality of the Holy Spirit, well, then you know it's a new time in history. It's the end. We're entering into the last days, and that's what Peter says. Peter says, Peter says this is this far from these guys being drunk this is a sign from heaven that says we've entered into a new era of history we've gone to the, we're, we're now in this time we're calling the last days and you would say well it's been 2000 years so that's a lot of days it is it's a long time for us but in God's economy days like a thousand years a thousand years is like a day we're at the very end of history We've had all of this all of these promises coming 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 and now in these last days there are things that are being fulfilled and this is where we're living. We don't know when the end is, but we know it's coming soon. There's no other major events from God's perspective that we're waiting on before Jesus returns. That's why in the New Testament we read that Jesus returns like a thief in the night or his his coming will be will be sudden. It's because we're not waiting on anything else. All of the events have already transpired. He's sent his Messiah. He's been raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit has been given to his people. So what that does for us, we said last week, is that elevates the urgency and the priority of this command to be his witnesses. Being his witnesses is about preparing people for eternity. It's helping them recognize death is not the end. Death is a doorway either to life or to a second death that's going to last forever. Nobody's soul is just annihilated. We're all made for eternity. It's just, how are we going to spend that eternity? With God or without Him? God is the source of all things good. So without Him, that's what hell is. You're cut off from all good things because you're cut off from the source of the one who's good. And so that's what it means to be witnesses. It's to help people. It doesn't mean you have to get a megaphone and go on the square and turn or burn. It's none of that. It's the people in your life who you bounce into on a regular basis, being sensitive to where they are, being sensitive to what God is doing in their hearts. God is always at work. He's the great initiator. He's constantly drawing people to himself, constantly trying to open people's eyes. We read about the Holy Spirit in John. He convicts of sin and guilt and righteousness. He's always doing that work. And us being sensitive to where he's working in the lives of people. To help prepare them for eternity. That's what it means to be a witness. I know this guy. That guilt that you're feeling. The weight of your sin. He can take care of that for you. He can forgive you of that. That isolation that you're feeling. I know a guy. And he will never ever leave you. There's no place you can go that he is not already. That sense of purposelessness that you that, that, you're, that, that you feel. I know a guy. And he has, a, he has a plan for your life, and it is bigger than anything you've ever asked or imagined. That sense of desperation that you feel, I know a guy, and he will meet your every need. That sense of weakness that you feel, I know a guy, and he can strengthen you inside and out. What that, that lack of identity, that grasping that you have, trying to figure out who you are and why you're here, I know a guy. And he, has, he, and he knows who you are. He created you. He made you. formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. Knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants to call you a son or a daughter. You don't have to look for other labels anymore. That's what it means to be a witness. You're helping people, preparing them for eternity. You know the guy who's the answer to every question ever asked. You know the guy. Who can meet every need of every heart. And so for us, hearing we're in the last days, suddenly that becomes priority for us. Oh, this is urgent because the time is drawing to a close, but it's difficult because it's been 2,000 years. And so it's hard to feel that sense of urgency. I actually don't think it's healthy to live in some permanent state of crisis. We're not wired that way. You can't live with your hair on fire all the time. And so how do we hold on to the tension There's a place, I think it's in 1 Thessalonians, where there are people who were sitting out on a hill, waiting on Jesus to return. And Paul says to them, literally, he says, go get a job. Like, you're not doing anybody any good. And so that's the tension that we're living in. We've got to get a job, and you understand what that's shorthand for. And we also need to recognize being witnesses. This is an assignment from the God of heaven, from the Lord of everything. says, this is what you're going to be. Before you're a teacher, before you're a pastor, before you're a mother, before you're a father, before you work at Brassfield and Gore, or Gaskin, surveying, and engineering, before you do any of those things, you're a witness. So how do we hold that and hold the fact that we've to get a job in tension? I think that's kind of where I'm wrestling, and I hope you're wrestling with that as well. And as we walk through Acts, hopefully that will become we're, I'm almost out of time. I haven't started. All right, I'm going to read this really fast. So Peter's in the middle of this sermon, this first ever Christian sermon. So he gives a biography of Jesus, three-sentence biography. I thought about that as a challenge. Could I summarize Jesus's who he is in that short of a span? What do they say, that elevator pitch? How many seconds do you have to grab somebody's attention? I'm not necessarily trying to grab people's attention, but it's interesting to me to think about, do I know him well enough that I can summarize who he is in just a handful of sentences? So listen, one sentence on his life, one on his death, one on his resurrection. Fellow Israelites, so everyone Peter is talking to are Jewish, so they have that common understanding. So he's going to speak to them as a Jewish audience who is expecting the Messiah. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. That's his life. They're saying Jesus was, he lived an extraordinary life. There was something different about him. He lived this miraculous life, and these signs, wonders, and miracles were all done by God to prove to you who he was, to prove to you who Jesus was. Not very many people have the life of Jesus that we read about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Peter is saying there's a reason for that. God did those things through him so it would cause you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He was confirming Jesus' statements about himself, confirming Jesus' statements about reality through these signs and wonders and miracles that people can't just produce on their own. Who walks on water? Who raises people from the dead? who feeds twelve thousand people with one boy 's lunch? Nobody does that kind of stuff. Who opens the eyes of people who were born blind? Who tells paralytics to get up and walk? Who does those things? All of that stuff was done to accredit Jesus or to prove him to you, to prove to you y 'all he 's speaking to this Jewish audience that Jesus was not just an ordinary man, his death. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you. By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. So Jesus' death has been planned. Revelation thirteen eight. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So what Paul, Peter there is doing is he's hanging guilt on them. He's saying, you guys are, y'all blew it. This one who was accredited to you by God with signs and wonders and miracles, you killed him. Yes, it was according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge, but that doesn't let you off the hook that you killed an innocent man, that you rejected one sent to you by God. Read Isaiah 53. We don't have time. Read that this week, and you'll see hundreds of years before Jesus was born, you will be reading Good Friday in Isaiah 53. You'll, just, you'll see Good Friday painted there, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. All of this was set in motion by God. From the beginning, the crucifixion was not a contingency plan. But God raised him from the dead. Here's his resurrection. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. If death is the result of sin, the wages of sin is death, so flip that around. Death is the result of sin. Well, if Jesus didn't sin, then death has no claim on him. That's what Peter's saying. He lived this extraordinary life. To demonstrate to you that he was somebody special. What you did is you killed him. And then what God did was raise him from the dead because death has no claim on someone who's never sinned. Short biography of Jesus. And now Peter's going to explain. This is what it means. This is what those three sentences mean. David. This is King David. Said about him. This is Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. So that verse 27 is, a, is important. So because you, this is David talking, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. We know David died. You will not let your Holy One see decay and David rotted like everybody else does. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here today. Peter that does this statement, that verse 27, does not apply to David. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, And he was the one not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Do you see the twist there? Peter's saying, David wasn't talking about himself. We know he's dead. I can take you to the tomb. We can see the bones. He's dead and he rotted. David was a prophet and he was looking forward to the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who was not abandoned to death. The Messiah is the one whose body did not see decay. Hey, by the way, I can take you to Jesus' tomb and it's empty. I can take you and you can see that he's the one that God did not abandon to death. He's the one whose body did not see decay. He's the Messiah. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Now, Peter's shifting. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's Pentecost Day. All of this stuff, all these people speaking in these different languages, That's Jesus doing that. For David did not ascend to heaven. Again, I can take you to his tomb. I can show you his bones. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So God, Yahweh, said to David's Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. There's the guilt again. Both Lord and And Messiah. He just said he's the Messiah. He's the one who was not abandoned to the grave. And he's the Lord. The Jews were expecting an earthly Messiah. Like a superhero. Superpowers, all that stuff. Divine warrior, or excuse me, warrior king. They were not expecting a God. And, And what Peter says is he's not just the Messiah, the one sent by God to make everything right. He's actually God. He ascended into heaven ten days ago. We saw it. And here's proof all of this stuff that you're witnessing the reason that all thousands of you have been drawn to this temple and are listening to me talk that demonstrates that Jesus has has ascended into heaven because who else has the authority to send the spirit of god who gets to do that who else is in a position of authority that they can send the spirit of god to men and women young and old regardless of life station that guy must be the lord Th- What you're experiencing proves that. You may not buy into the logic. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. And this is their response to him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, deeply convicted. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Huge question. If you this morning are where this original audience is, you've not yet made a decision about who Jesus is for you. You haven't made a decision to follow him. Think about that short biography, his life and his death and his resurrection and what those things mean. Even if you don't necessarily go for Peter's logic, we can maybe create some some other ways of explaining that to help you see this is who Jesus is. And this is what his death meant. And he did rise from the dead. So what does that mean? And so that, that becomes the most important question for you then is, well, what do we do about that? These guys are devastated. They're Jews, and God has sent them a Messiah, and they rejected him. They've been, think about that. If you've been waiting for thousands of years for God to fulfill a promise, and then when he does, you reject the promise. You don't just reject it. You stomp on it and kill it. And they're going, what's, what's left for us? What are we supposed to do? God threw us a lifeline, and we cut the rope. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number this day. So what Peter says is there's great news for y'all, audience. Y'all killed him. You rejected the hope that God sent to you, but there's still grace. So you imagine this. Here's another book you can maybe read this week if you're looking for something to read. Read Hosea. So Hosea is a Jewish prophet, and God tells him to marry a prostitute. So you can think about that. And he tells him to marry a prostitute because he says, Israel's like, that's who Israel is to me. They're chasing after all these other gods. And in the Old Testament, a lot of times, idolatry is equated to adultery. That's the type of relationship with us that God wants. That he speaks about idolatry, chasing other gods in the same manner that we would speak about adultery. Somebody cheating on their spouse. And he says, Jose, I want you to marry a promiscuous woman, is what he calls her. And then I want you to have children by her. And the names of her children are not good names. They're, you know, you're not my people anymore is the name of one of her kids. And, and it's, it's all this prophetic symbolism to say, this is who Israel is to me. They are rebelling against me. I'm a good husband, and she's a wayward wife. This nation is. And then in chapter 3, so Hosea leaves. Oh, excuse me, Gomer, that's his wife's name. That's a tough name for sure for anybody, but especially a woman. So Gomer goes. And then in chapter 3, God says to Hosea, I want you to go get her. I want you to bring her back in, even though you know she's been living as a prostitute. So you marry this woman, you bring her in, you have children with her, and then she bails on you, chasing after other men. Now I want you, Hosea, who haven't done anything wrong, I want you to go get her. And so he does that. He goes and gets her and he has to pay for her. He pays 15 shekels of silver and some food to bring her back in. And God's saying, that's a picture of how I am with people. I'm a great husband. I'm a great God. Y'all have rebelled against me. You've rejected me. The fault is 100% on you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to initiate reconciliation. Amazing. Who does that? Who does that? He doesn't say, I'm here when you're ready. I'll be here if you want to come groveling back. Here's a list of things that you need to do to make things right. He comes to earth as a man, lives, dies a brutal death, and is raised again in order to make reconciliation with him possible. That's what Peter is saying to them. Yes, you killed him. You are an adulterous group. You're an idolatrous group. You're a rebellious, rejecting, hard-hearted, self-centered group. And what God has done is rather than leave you to that, he's made a way for you to come home. He's initiated reconciliation. And all you have to do, amazing, is repent. I was in Turkey a few weeks ago, and there was this Muslim lady was reading this. And she was going, that can't be true. It can't be true. She kept saying over and over again, what do I have to do? There's got to be more to it. All the sins I've committed, all I have to do is repent? Yes. What about the ones I commit in the future? They are already taken, They can't already be taken care of. Who is like that? And that's where these Jews are hearing this for the first time, and maybe for you this morning, you need to hear that. You need to feel the weight of the guilt. Peter set him up. You killed him. It's on your head. You weren't necessarily here in the city. You weren't driving the nails, but you rejected him. And they feel it. They're cut to the heart. They're convicted of their sin. What are we supposed to do? You just repent. It's a spiritual 180. It's going from disagreeing with God to agreeing with him. It's me. I did it. I rejected I rebelled. I've been living for myself. I'm self-centered. I'm self-focused. I'm prideful. I want to do my own thing in my own way. That's repentance. It's acknowledging that and saying, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm turning around. I want to walk in a different way. That's what it takes. That's what this Muslim lady is saying. There's got to be more to it than that. In the Islamic faith, there's an angel on each shoulder, and they're writing down your good deeds and your bad deeds. There's no assurance of salvation because of the end. You don't know who's written down more stuff. So there's this constant sense of concern. Am I in or am I not? Honestly, that's why some of these guys go and blow themselves up, because that's a guarantee. And so if you're living with this constant worry, am I in, am I not? Am I, so, am I, am I, is, am I on the good side or the bad side? Paradise or hell? That's where they're living. So maybe blowing yourself up, if that secures things for you, becomes a little bit more attractive as an option. And so this lady is going, there's got to be more to it than that because she's thinking, what about all the good deeds I've got to do to outweigh all the bad ones that I've already done? And you say, no, all you do is repent. If you want to do something after that, be baptized. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by grace through baptism, but baptism is an outward sign of our identification with Jesus. It's also a, a symbol of the inner work that He's done in our hearts. I don't care if you're sprinkled or dunked or poured on. I don't think God cares either, but all of those things have different different pictures in the Bible that speak to the work, cleansing from sin, the Holy Spirit being poured upon us, dying with Christ and being raised to Him, to life again. So if you want to do something, do that. Repent and be baptized. And here's what you get. You get to be forgiven. the, The slate is wiped clean. All of your guilt is taken away. The debt that you've incurred is paid for. Is it really that easy? It's that easy for us. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. So this negative sin is taken care of, and this positive, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. He regenerates you, makes you a new creation, enables you to live faithfully and fruitfully before the Father. Think about the relationship being ruptured so the first thing is we've got we've to fix the breach. So Hosea, go get Gomer and pay to, to ransom her from this guy who she's a sex slave for. Ransom her from that. Okay, that's our sin. We've got to be ransomed. The Son of Man didn't come uh, to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's step one, but it's just step one. Step two is you've got to bring her back in. You've got to be your husband again. And for us, that's receiving the Holy Spirit. It's not just that our sins are forgiven. God actually comes and takes up residence within us so that we can live fully as sons and daughters of His. This is what's on the table for all of us this morning. If you've already made a decision, you've already had your sins forgiven, you've already been baptized, you've already received the Holy Spirit, then my challenge to you is, are you helping prepare other people for that? Where is that on your priority list? Don't hear that as guilt. That is a terrible motivator. Don't hear it as condemnation. That's not from the Lord. Hear it as an encouragement challenge question. How, where is that on my list? I've got to get a job. And I'm also supposed to be a witness. I want to help prepare people for eternity. Eternity is a whole lot longer than these last days that we're living in. I'm never getting a megaphone. Never say never. I hope to God above I never have to get a megaphone. (laughs) But there are people that I touch regularly. Some I know well, some I don't know very well. And they need what I've got. Not because I'm better than anybody. I've just found him. And the same is true for you. So if you haven't ever repented, let today be the day. Let today be the day that you say, you know what, I'm going to, that's conviction and I'm not going to run away from it. I'm going to respond to it. Yes, it's me. I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And he will, just like that. And then I'm going to ask you to fill me with your spirit so that I can begin today to live faithfully and fruitfully before you. And again, if you've already done that, thankful. Be thankful for that. Ask the Lord, what does it look like for me to begin to wrap my life around this calling to be a witness? We've got to go. It's 1230. Let's pray. Anybody in here who would say, today's the day for me. I'm ready to repent. Repent. And receive the Holy Spirit. I'm ready to begin to follow after Jesus. That's you this morning. I want you to pray along with me. And then I want you to come grab me after this service. God, I confess. I'm a sinner. I fall short of your glory. I'm selfish. I'm prideful. Rebellious. I live my life the way I want to live it. Now, I don't want to do that anymore. And so I confess those things to you, and I ask you to forgive me of that entire slate of behaviors and to forgive me of that attitude that says I know best. I'm asking you to send your spirit to me, to make me new, to adopt me into your family as a son or as a daughter. To empower me to live faithfully and fruitfully before you. If you've already prayed that prayer. Something like it. some point in your life. But you're saying man. I spent a whole lot of time getting a job. I'm not sure where being a witness fits on my priority list. You can pray this with me if you're willing. I want to to be faithful to this calling on my life to be a witness wherever I go. I'm not even positive what that looks like, but I recognize there's nothing more important. So I'm asking you to show me. I pray, first of all, that you would deepen my compassion for the people I live my life with. That you would give me a tender heart towards them. And their situation, particularly those who don't know you. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. That my character would be such that it would draw people to you, Jesus. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the faithfulness and the self-control that, you, that are exhibited in me, particularly in difficult cir- circumstances, would cause people to look at you because it's the fruit of your spirit, not the fruit of my will. God, I pray that you would give me gifts. Holy Spirit, would you equip me to love people well? Whether that's healing or words of wisdom and knowledge or serving or leading or giving. Whatever the the gift is that I need in the moment to love the person in front of me well. Would you give that to me? Would I have the faith to believe you to equip me to bless and to serve and to love these men and women in my life? God, we want to see people coming to know you. 3,000 in one day. I can't even fathom that. God, but we want to begin to see that. Those guys, let more people said yes in that one day than said yes in three years of Jesus' ministry. Think about that. He said we do greater things than him. You're part of the We. So, God, I pray for each one of us without guilt and without condemnation. That's not you at all. I pray for a burden and a sense of clarity and intentionality around what it means to be a witness. Beginning today in a way that fits with how you've wired us, in a way that fits with how you've gifted and formed us. But absolutely in a way that's incredibly effective. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are free to go. Have a great Mother's Day. If you need to circle back with me on something, I'll be here for a couple.